Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thursday, you know what that means. It is Friday Eve. I'm so glad that you're here tonight with me and that you've made it this far through the week. Uh, So this does not happen very often. And I'm going to be honest with you. I was wrong today. I will admit it when I'm wrong. I was definitely wrong today. I thought when the jury went out on the Caitlin Armstrong deliberation, I thought it would be three hours. I thought it'd be quick. And I was wrong. It was two. It was two hours and like a couple more minutes. But that doesn't happen very often in a first-degree murder case. Let me just be really clear. That is a really fast verdict. Those jurors knew exactly where they were at when they walked into that room for the first time and said, shall we do a round? Shall we do a vote for the first time? I think they pretty much did it on the first vote. I mean, not even lunch. That's amazing on a first degree, because first degree murder is the most serious charge out there. It can carry death penalty. It didn't carry it in this instance, but it's life, no parole in a lot of states, in a lot of cases. And the jury still has to deliberate on how long Caitlin Armstrong should spend behind bars for shooting Mariah Wilson in the face twice. And then once in the heart, for good measure. That's execution style, my friends. And juries don't like that kind of killing. They had to look at those pictures. These are not experts in murder. They're not experts in criminal justice. They were mechanics and, you know, hairstylists and supermarket checkout people. I mean, this was not what they had in store for their October, November, and yet they had to. And so now they have the ultimate decision, which is, what's going to happen? What do we do to Caitlin Armstrong? That's coming tomorrow. In the interim, today there was so much good stuff. We learned more stuff in the sentencing hearing. I didn't expect to learn. I knew I'd learn about emotion. I didn't think I'd learn about fact. But not only did Mariah Wilson's family speak, heartbreakingly, Caitlin Armstrong's family spoke too. And remember that sister who Caitlin visited before she took off to Costa Rica? whose passport Caitlin had, she got on the stand and she had to answer the question, did you give your passport to your sister? She answered it, and we're going to give you that information. Alex Capriello uh, was our eyes and ears. He's going to join us in just a moment. He also did a quick interview with uh, Mariah Wilson's dad. And so you're going to get all that in a moment. And then there's this, the drugs made me do it. How often have you heard that? And you don't have to answer that. How often have you heard about it in a murder case as an excuse for the murder? The drugs made me do it. We've been following this case in California with a young woman who stabbed her boyfriend 108 times, and then her dog, and then herself, and said it was the bong hits. And we just are wound up about it. So we did some digging, and it turns out that the drugs made me do it is a pretty frequent excuse in a murder case. We've lined up like 
a giant list of drugs that made me do it. Everything from cough medicine to Ambien to sleeping pills to Twinkies. And I think you might remember the Twinkie defense because it really kicked this whole thing off back in the 70s. So here's the deal. You're going to hear about all these different common everyday drugs that we can access over the counter in some circumstances and how often it works, how often it doesn't. Not only that, the attorney for someone who stabbed his own five-year-old children and then was thinking about the combo of meds for the defense. That guy's going to join me to talk all about it. And then this case just, I don't know whether to be angry or upset or sad. I have a, a lot of respect for teachers. They just, I mean, teachers take it on the chin. And, and this teacher in Florida didn't just take it on the chin. She took it on her whole body because she was attacked by one of her students. And look at what happened. Look at this video. She is a special needs teacher. You won't believe what brought on this attack. I just want you to know one thing, though. This is not your average kid. This kid is like 6'6", I think 270. So why is it that she is um, on leave without pay? Huh? All of that coming ahead in just a moment. But first, let's go through this whirlwind day in the Caitlin Armstrong murder trial. Once again, I was wrong. I thought three hours. (laughs) I was doing an over-under on it, too. Uh, It was a lot under. Two hours and 10 slash 16 minutes. Depends on the clock you were looking at. Depends on whether they were walking slowly back into the courtroom. But a little over two hours, that jury came up with its verdict. Guilty. Guilty. No question about it. You are a first-degree murderer, Caitlin Armstrong. When you drove over to the place where Mariah Wilson was staying and she opened the door and you fired into her face twice. And then when she was down on the ground, you fired into her heart. The jury decided you should probably spend a long time in prison for it because you did it. You did it. You are guilty. And it didn't take them long to decide. It was so quick, in fact, I think the cameraman in the courtroom was caught off guard. How do I know that? Because wait until you see how the camera had to, like, jostle into place to actually get the verdict read. Here's how it played out. Look. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, speaking to your full person, have you reached a verdict in this case? If you would pass that verdict to the bailiff, please. Defendant will please rise. In cause number D1DC2230129, the state of Texas versus Caitlin Armstrong, verdict of the jury. We, the jury, find the defendant, Caitlin Armstrong, guilty of the offense of murder as alleged in the indictment, signed by the presiding juror on today's date, 214 p.m. You may be seated. Not our fault that the camera shot was on the back of her head. That's the judge. 
that was what we were allowed. You didn't get to see her reaction, but it was pretty stoic. She didn't drop her head into her hands, which is usually what happens when you find out your life just uh, basically collapsed in front of your eyes. Uh, that only took nine days, that whole trial. This was quick. And then the verdict, woof. Um, the prosecution basically, they summed it all up this morning by saying, there's just a mountain of evidence. You know, use your gut here. You've heard basically nine days of evidence that's super strong. Um, the defense, though, said, oh, well, the police had tunnel vision. And then they took another stab at, uh, at Colin Strickland, trying to pin the blame on the boyfriend in the, in the love triangle. I'm sure he is just livid at this whole process. Disgusted, livid, angry, all of the above. Again, hard to tell Caitlin's face, though. That's why Alex Capriello enters the picture now. We can see his face. He's our News Nation national correspondent, live in the courtroom for everything today. So, first of all, the cameraman looked surprised when that verdict came in so quickly. Um, tell me about the courtroom. Yeah, I think everyone was surprised. There was very little fanfare. The bailiff promising us that she's going to come out and announce that a verdict has been reached, but we didn't even see that. All of a sudden, the doors were unlocked. Someone might have tried the door. All of a sudden, everyone comes flooding in. So there really wasn't much announcement, and that even goes to the cameraman, who I agree was probably caught off guard there a little bit. The jury is brought in very silently, and then all of a sudden, we're in action. Uh, the judge calls for that verdict, reads it out loud. Uh, but I'll tell you, you could hear a pin drop in the, inside that courtroom. Everyone was deathly silent. They wanted to hear those words come out. Uh, Caitlin Armstrong really not showing much emotion whatsoever. It's very similar to what we've seen for the past two and a half weeks. She just continued to stare straight ahead. Uh, but obviously a very triumphant moment for the Wilson family. This was the justice that they had been hoping for. And they embraced each other very, very lovingly for a very long time after that news came down. They were just so relieved. And, of course, we only have the one camera, right? So you don't get to see all of the reaction. I'm sure over to the left of where Caitlin's standing up right now, that's where the, you know, Mariah Wilson uh, family and friends were all seated and hugging, like you said. I wish we could have seen all of right. that. So um, tell me a little bit about, like, what we're seeing now. The, the, it's the back of her head, but you at least had a little better perspective. Did she at least confer with her attorney? Was there any discussion? Did she look to her family? Anything other than what we're seeing right now, which is literally nothing. No, and I'm telling you, Ashley, I look every single time I can to see if Caitlin Armstrong is showing any sort of different reaction or emotion. But she just doesn't really. I mean, every once in a while you'll see her talk and chat, whisper maybe to her attorneys, but she doesn't really look the way of her parents. Uh, for the very first time, I saw her actually do something today that was different, and that was when her sister, Christine Armstrong, actually took to the witness stand. I'm sure you're going to ask me about that shortly. But Christine Armstrong did the I love you in sign language to her. And Caitlin Armstrong did it back. She didn't smile, but you saw at least something out of Caitlin Armstrong that I haven't seen yet before. So really not much when it came to the actual verdict being read or throughout the day's proceedings. Well, I am going to ask you about Christine Armstrong because, of course, she is the one who had the passport uh, Caitlin came to visit her in upstate New York, and suddenly Caitlin becomes Christine Armstrong as she's going over customs and immigration into Costa Rica. So I can't wait for you to tell me about that questioning. She had to answer to that on the stand, which is astounding. Before I do that, though, I do want you to tell me about Mo's family, because they, in the sentencing hearing, were all allowed to speak. Her, um, her friend Caitlin Cash, where she was staying, obviously that's devastating, her brother, Matthew, was the only other sibling. Um, her mom, Karen, and her dad, Eric. So just summarize what they all had to say to this court. 
Yeah, this was a very powerful moment for not only the courtroom, but for the jury to hear. Keep in mind, they have to come up with the sentencing tomorrow morning. So this was the chance for Mariah Wilson's family to say exactly to them how they feel about their daughter and how they feel about her, their daughter's murder. So Caitlin Cash took to the stand first, and she talked a little bit about what Mariah Wilson meant to her, but also the PTSD that she now feels every single day of her life. She still lives in that apartment where Mariah was murdered, and that's very difficult for her. She, stared, she shared a quick anecdote on the day that Mariah was killed. She said that she watched her ride her bike away and took a picture of her, sending that picture of Mariah to Mariah's mom, and she sent a text that said, your girl is in safe hands here in Austin. Man, that was a heartbreaker for this entire courtroom to hear because obviously we know just a few hours later, Mo was killed. Matthew Wilson took to the stand, talked a little bit about the depression that he's been battling over time and how instrumental that Mariah was in helping him get through those difficult times. Karen Wilson, the mother of Mariah Wilson, also heartbreaking watching her uh, you know, speak about her daughter through tears, saying that Mo, she believed that Mo lived her life fully as if she knew her life would be cut short. That's just the way that Mo lived, fast and full of energy. Uh, as for Eric Wilson, he was the very final person in the Wilson family to speak. He was just talking about how much of a nightmare this whole ordeal has been and how much he loved his daughter. All right, go over to the other side now because, um, because Caitlin's dad spoke and then Caitlin's sister Christine spoke. So summarize that and the challenges that Christine was given on the stand by the prosecutor about that passport. Yeah, Mike Armstrong was the first witness on behalf of the defense to talk about the character of the defendant, Caitlin Armstrong. Mike basically talked about her childhood, how she was full of energy, how bright she was. She studied finance in college and had a successful career in finance before converting full-time into yoga and handling Colin Strickland's business. Uh, but he knows and recognizes that the pain that he is feeling is much worse for the Wilsons, so he did acknowledge that. As for Christine Armstrong... She threw up the I love you sign. She also talked about how much Caitlin Armstrong, her sister, is her best friend and how devastated that she is by all of everything that's happened. But yes, when the prosecution had a chance to cross-examine this witness, Christine Armstrong, this was a big question that we never heard during the entire course of this trial. How did Caitlin Armstrong get your passport? And they asked, did you give your passport to your sister? She said no. He asked again. Or he actually said, so she stole it? She said, I didn't give it to her. She must have taken it. So that's her answer. That's what she's sticking with. That's that. So last question, and this is important. Caitlin was asked if she wanted to testify. And I can't believe that was even a part of the proceeding today. But she said no. And then a woman named Judith Knotts, um, who's a Travis County, um, she's in the chaplain program, gave us some color into what Caitlin does in jail every day. And it's a bit of a window into how Caitlin's prison life is going to be. Can you just summarize that? i got about 30 seconds left. Yeah, as you've mentioned, the Travis County Sheriff's Office is highly difficult to get information from, particularly about life behind bars. And so listening to Judy Knott speak today really opened up that door uh, because Judy Knott works for the chaplain program. She helps deliver Catholic church services to Armstrong every Monday. And she said it's an honor to work with Caitlin Armstrong, but also revealed more about Caitlin's life behind bars, saying that she's in total isolation. She spends her time meditating, doing yoga, and reading. She's got this meditation down so well, Ashley, that she's teaching other inmates 
how to do it as well. Perhaps that's what we've been seeing this entire two and a half weeks of this trial was Caitlin Armstrong really in the zone meditating right there at the defense table because we really haven't seen much emotion from her. But obviously she's had a lot of practice behind bars. Maybe she's medicated. That's the other thing. That's not unheard of. Um, Alex Capriello, thank you for being the eyes and ears, uh, considering it's been so hard to get a good view of that courtroom. Do appreciate it. I want to bring in Andrew Cherkowski now. He's a criminal defense attorney, former federal prosecutor. Andrew, uh, she still has to go back to court. There's that felony escape business, um, you know, her running off in the Benny Hill videos. So that's still to come. But in the interim, tomorrow is the sentencing. And um, I need you as a lawyer to tell me how important it is that Caitlin took a gun and pointed it at Mo Wilson's face and shot twice into her face and then for good measure finished her off while she was on the ground through the heart. What does that do in terms of the jury and the metric they'll use to, to reach a, a sentence for her? Well, we have to appreciate that, she see, that the jury sees her as a murderer. And so it's how bad of a murderer, I guess, that they ultimately have to conclude here. And as much as I think shooting her in the face is something that is uh, remarkably aggravating, I think that also very aggravating is the fact that she was seen uh, scoping out the house ahead of time. I mean, this is the evidence of a premeditation. This is somebody who is thinking about doing it. It's not just a heat of passion type of case. And so that's what I think is really going to resonate with them is that there was there was forethought to this that's what uh will get her what i think is going to be the maximum penalty because i always think about how heinous atrocious and cruel and depraved um certain kinds of killings are and when it comes to facing down a woman and shooting her in the face and she's trying to block that shot with her hand um that to me is something the jurors aren't going to forget they had to look at those pictures of mariah's face well, when we saw a verdict of two hours, I think that it communicated very strongly that this jury is uh, remarkably set on condemning uh, her yep. and, and the conduct that occurred here. So uh, I, I think the sentence is going, going to reflect that. The defense is doing their best to put on some sort of mitigation case to show that this is a, a real person who has some sort of redeeming qualities. But when you act like that, I, I don't think a member on that jury panel is going to think anything other than uh, giving her the max. So you're her lawyer for a second, and the judge says, uh, Ms. Armstrong, do you have anything that you'd like to add? Would you like to testify in this sentencing hearing? And she says no. I'm wondering, could she have done anything to shave some time off of what the jurors are going to decide? Or would she have basically put her foot in the grave because there's no shot at an appeal if you express remorse or take uh, uh, you know, responsibility for your actions on the record? Well, I think a question like that, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of this case and how it's played out. I mean, if at the very beginning of this case she had admitted guilt or tried to uh, formulate some sort of deal that suggested that she was acting in the heat of passion, that tried to justify what she had done with some degree of mitigation, not even if it's a, a total uh, defense to the case, I think she could have looked at uh, perhaps less than the rest of her life in jail or some degree of, of chance of probation. But when you've gotten this far in it, and you've continued to fight and you put on that defense, uh, what do you get up and say in the sentencing? You, you admit to your guilt at that point. That's certainly uh, not going to do anything for you with your outside hope that you might have an appeal. And so the other side is you just kind of sit quietly by and let them do their thing and hope that there's some chance of an appeal down the road. I, I think her, her chance at something mitigated was gone before this trial ever started. 
And throughout the entire trial, the stoic face without a tear shed, that sort of thing doesn't help either if all of a sudden the crocodile tears show up at the sentencing hearing. Andrew Cherkaski, as always, thank you for your wisdom. Appreciate your time, too. Thank you. Still to come, the drugs made me do it. It's the defense in a California case right now where a woman stabbed her boyfriend over 100 times and said the bong hits made her psychotic. But how often do juries hear something like that as a defense? More importantly, how often does it actually work? We did some digging, and you will not believe the long list of everyday drugs that have been used as an excuse for murder. From cough medicine to sleep aids to acne medication, juries have heard it all, even Twinkies. After the break, the attorney for a man who stabbed his five-year-old twin daughters while on a bad mix of meds. Big Insight, next. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual. Because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals. And recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Are we a nation of weasels? And I really do ask that honestly. I know it sounds terrible. But the more I hear defenses in court, the more I wonder, are we just weaseling out and looking for anything to get away with whatever it is we've done, like murder? Um, Or is this actually a way to take responsibility for what you've done? And now that we know a whole lot more about drugs, mental health, drug interactions, are we getting better at this, actually? Are Are we starting to figure out the human condition a little more and how guilty people may not be quite as guilty as we think if they take meds before their crime? I ask that because of this girl on the screen, Spring Speecher in California. She stabbed her boyfriend 109 times. It is a bizarre case, like nuts. Because she's uh, sort of a straight lace, doesn't do drugs, you know, hadn't really done a lot of marijuana before, took a couple hits off of her boyfriend's bong, and then absolutely lost it. And a forensic psychologist, Psychiatrist even said she was in a cannabis-induced psychotic break when she stabbed boyfriend, then stabbed her dog, and then stabbed herself. So can the drugs really make you do it? It certainly has been used a lot in the past, okay? And I didn't realize how much and how many drugs, but like over-the-counter stuff. Doesn't even have to be a bong. It could just be like sleeping pills, like Ambien, uh, doxylamine, those kinds of things. How about cough medicine, like coracidin? Acne medicine, Accutane, that's been used as a defense for murder before. So have all of these. Depression meds like Lexapro, Zoloft, Zoloft and um, Prozac. Those have all found their way into uh, courtroom defense. 
that anti-smoking uh, uh, Chantix and uh, the anti-obesity drug Duramine. I'm going to throw one more on that. It was Twinkies. Now, that's a drug because Twinkies are just pure sugar. So I'll just say that is a drug. And it kind of kicked off the whole um, trend, right, the Twinkie defense. Um, there's a good long story behind that, which I'll talk about later. But these cases are not a joke. The, the Coracidin one, the cough medicine one, was 2017. It was a guy named Matthew Phelps. Got up in the middle of the night, calls 911, and basically says, uh, like, I think I just basically stabbed my wife to death, and I don't know what the hell's going on, but I was on cough meds. Here's the 911 call. Listen to it. Tell me exactly what happened. I think I killed my wife. What, what do you mean by that? What happened? I had a dream, and then I turned on the lights, and she's dead on the floor. How? How? I'm I'm, I have blood all over me, and there's a bloody knife on the bed, and I think I did it. Pretty scary stuff, right? Well, um, Matthew Phelps actually pleaded guilty to first degree. He got life in prison, no parole regardless. Then in 2017 again, Aiden Von Grabo in Colorado um, said that Accutane caused... Involuntary intoxication, and that was his excuse as a 15-year-old as to why he stabbed a woman to death. He pleaded guilty. He also got life in prison. Then in 2011, there was the Prozac murder. A Canadian judge found a 16-year-old boy who stabbed his friend to death while in a, quote, Prozac-induced mood disorder with manic features. Um, The Canadian judge just gave that kid three years as a sentence, less time served. And then there's David Crespi. Um, in January of 2006, he called 911 and told the dispatcher that he killed his twin five-year-old daughters by stabbing them to death. There was no trial. He instead took a plea deal to avoid the death penalty, and he's now serving two life sentences. But had he gone to trial, his attorney says they would have used a defense saying Crespi had a psychotic break from being misdiagnosed and being given the wrong medication, including Prozac, Ambien, and several other drugs. And we are lucky to have David Crespi's attorney with us tonight. Thank you so much, Jim Cooney, for being on the program. I wanted to get your take on the Bryn Speecher case in California, because I feel like you've kind of been to this rodeo, although not all the way into the ring. Well, there are some differences. David Crespi had a a, a mental illness, uh, and it was a a misdiagnosed mental illness. And, and, And you see that a lot, that some of these defenses aren't really about the medication. They're about the wrong medication or they're about an effective medication in the, in the context of an already existing behavioral illness. Now, the case in California has got to be the outlier of outliers. I mean, you're talking about massive overkill. She killed a dog on top of it. Uh, I mean, the crime scene kind of screams, screams out mental illness or psychotic break. And yet I, I hadn't heard about any prior history of that. So I, I think there's a lot we don't know about that. I, I would think it would be unusual that just three bong hits would send somebody into this kind of psychotic rage. But most of the drug defenses are always tied into a pre-existing behavioral health context. Yeah, I'm with you on the the three, four bong hits, but you know, who knows if that was laced with something that the toxicology uh, tests did not test for. You know, who knows if it's some synthetic 
you know, marijuana product from China that's come in that they don't even know about yet to test for it. So that's a possibility. Can I just ask you, though, about the whole idea of using drugs as a defense? The drugs made me do it. Do you think this is increasing as a trend? And do you think if it is that we understand more about drugs, their effect on mental health and mental health and its reaction to drugs? I I think yes to both questions. Uh, First of all, I I think people are looking at it more because we understand more. We understand that uh, when you administer drugs across tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, tens of millions of times, that you're going to have effects that, uh, that people didn't know about earlier. And then when you do it in the context of pre-existing behavioral health or, or mental health problems, uh, you've got a recipe in a very few cases for disaster. Uh, but, but these are not absolute defenses for the most part. In, in other words, these are not defenses that uh, the person's going to walk out of the courtroom a free man. Uh, what typically is going to happen is the defense is used to reduce the severity of the crime, say from first-degree murder to second-degree murder or second-degree murder to manslaughter because it uh, interferes with the ability to premeditate or deliberate or act in a rational fashion. It doesn't mean a crime hasn't been committed or that you're not guilty sure. of a crime. It simply means that you're Jim, not just guilty quickly. Can it also downward depart on your sentence, like mitigate how the jury feels about you if they have the opportunity to be part of the sentencing? Oh, or the court, for that matter. Uh, the court certainly can take behavioral health or the effect of uh, medications yeah. into account in terms of mitigating a sentence. And we do it all the time in death penalty cases. Uh, that's what you want to do in a death penalty case is infuse the first phase, the guilt phase, with that kind of mitigation. It's so fascinating. I could talk to you all day about this, and maybe we'll have another chance, too, because this case isn't over. Jim Cooney, thanks for being on tonight. Thank you. Still to come, a teacher's aide beaten within inches of her life by a student, a six foot six, 270-pound student, all of it caught on this disturbing surveillance camera. Why is she on unpaid leave after this? And what kind of punishment does she want for that boy? That's next. Joan Nadich is 58 years old and 150 pounds. And um, that's important when you're about to see what happens to her. She's a teacher's aide, special ed teacher in the Matanzas High School um, in Palm Coast, Florida. And one of her responsibilities is to escort a 17-year-old autistic boy between classes and things in the school. And that boy is Brendan Deppa, six foot six, 270 pounds. And the way that Joan describes it, she texted one of his teachers to say he's not allowed to bring his Nintendo Switch to one of these classes. And the boy apparently found out about the text. And when he found out, uh, she says he first spit on her and then did this. Let's roll the video. It's silent, so I'm going to have to tell you what's going on here. But he basically took off after her in the hallway. She is unconscious right there. 
He kicks her twice and then sets upon her with his fists 15 times to the torso and to the head. She is motionless, and others had to come to her rescue. Other staff members, students, trying to drag him off her. 66270. That beating was vicious. There was a body cam as well. This one does have sound. It's after they actually arrested him and put him in cuffs because he continued to spit on her and continued to threaten her. Here's the video of the body cam. We're going to stop. Hey, stop. Stupid. I'm going to kill you. In case you missed it, I'm going to effing kill you. So that happened. Um, The student has pleaded no contest to aggravated battery of a school board employee. That is a first-degree felony. It can land you 30 years in prison. Nadich actually, this all happened in February. She's actually uh, returned to the school in August, but they gave her a different position. There were complications with her workers' comp, and she ultimately ended up out on her butt. Administrative leave unpaid after this. We reached out to the school district. We reached out to the school. Neither one is commenting. Uh, Nadich said she's never watched the video, but she will be speaking at his sentencing, she says. Um, I want to bring in Gigi McKelvey. She's the host of the popular Pretty Lies and Alibis podcast. It's so hard to watch that. And then it's harder, Gigi, to learn that this is not the first time this child's been arrested. I say child, he's 17. He can be treated as an adult. Uh, what else happened? Why, why is this a, a repeat offense? He's had three prior arrests for assault and battery and, in fact, has been in a fight in the jail since he's been in custody. So seems like this is nothing new with him. I worked in a classroom and did the same job she did, and I don't think I've ever seen a student act out this way. It is it, Clearly, this young man needed to be in some kind of an alternative school that is staffed and equipped to deal with students who have violent tendencies. I mean, I smell a lawsuit and, uh, you know, bring your wheelbarrow to the school and collect. That's how I see this one. But let's talk about competency of the 17-year-old. Is there any issue as an autistic kid? Is he competent to be able to plead? I mean, I work with very high-functioning autistic kids. Self-contained is not the total contained. These kids can go out into mainstream courses and do electives. It sounds like that's what was happening here And they have to have a degree of self-control to be able to do that. Otherwise, you're in the fully contained class where all your classes are in one room. So he must have demonstrated that he was able to do this. And it's just, I'm watching this video now, Ashley. It is vicious. It is scary. And with the way the school has treated her, no wonder our teachers are leaving in droves. They're underpaid. And then when something like this happens, they're not supported by the administration. It's terrible. So let's talk about that, because I just about lost my lunch when I found out that she was on unpaid admin leave. Now, there, I guess there's some complications. They brought her back, different roles. Some didn't work out. Workers' comp is the problem. But what about unpaid leave to a woman who was beaten while she was unconscious? Well, like you say, I hope they've got thick pockets, because I think that she's going to sue the pants off of them, as she should. I mean, you have to support your teachers. I mean, she literally had her life on the line. And they thank her by saying, we're going to send you home and we're not going to pay you. To to have to go to a GoFundMe to be able to support yourself and pay your doctor's bills is something that parents in that school district need to be raising their voices in support of this woman and show that they stand behind her because these teachers, 
they they get very little thanks from students and a lot of times parents. And yet she showed up every day and did her job and look where it landed her. Let me tell you, it landed her five broken ribs, a severe concussion, hearing and vision loss. Her speech has slowed, she says, and she suffers from ongoing cognitive problems as well as, oh yeah, pain. Gigi, let's continue to watch this. Um, I really hope that the school does right by her. That is just so upsetting. Thank you for being on tonight. Thanks, Ashley. Gigi McKelvey, as always, love having her pretty lies and alibis. You have got to download that podcast. She's so good. Coming up, it is a pretty bold statement. When you arrive at a high-profile court hearing in a Mercedes, especially when you don't have much money and your husband has just been accused of being a serial killer. But that is what you're seeing right here. The estranged wife of the suspected Long Island serial killer. She showed up in the Mercedes yesterday for a court hearing. And strangely enough, that didn't even make the biggest headline. Instead, it was the big, toothy, loving smile she gave to Rex Hewerman in court. Again, this is her estranged husband because she served him with divorce six days after the arrest. So what is going on with this family? The attorney for their two children joins me next. Days. We'll find out who loves football. Inside the NFL has a new home, and it's only on the CW. We gotta win every time we step on the field. I'm excited that we back. Let's go! And now it's for everyone. Dominate from the first step to the last step. With new host Ryan Clark and analysts Channing Crowder, Chris Law, Chad Johnson, Jay Cutler. What a play! The all-new Inside the NFL. Touchdown! Tuesdays at eight seven Central. Stream free next day. Now on the CW. Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. But there's something more important than victory. At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe. Safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforsafesport.org. Uh, why does this room look amazing? What'd you change? Oh, I just got these custom shades from Blinds.com. It's all online, so it's really easy. Great price, too. Ugh, I remember shopping for Blinds. I waited around all day just to get a quote. Hi, sorry I'm late. I know you said just the bedroom, but what do you feel about this? I feel like I had to say yes just to get rid of her. All right, just go ahead and sign here and we'll get everything taken care of. It took forever. And the worst part, hidden fees. How about you? I chatted with MyBlinds.com design consultant on my time, got free samples, and it was all super high quality at a great price. Plus, they make it easy to DIY or add installation like I did. Blinds.com sounds way better. Way better. And everything comes with their 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, check this out. I can control them from my phone. Whoa, magic. Shop and save 40% site-wide plus doorbuster deals at Blinds.com's Black Friday early access sale happening now. Rules and restrictions may apply. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Elizabeth Vargas, and this is America's source for engaging and unbiased news. 
Where can the skills you learn with ham radio take you? Amateur radio, often called ham radio, is the place where today's engineers got their start. Ham radio is more popular than ever before. With hands-on training in electronics, engineering, and digital communications, modern hams interface computers and radios in entirely new ways. Ham radio in the 21st century can take you around the world or into a whole new career. Learn more. Go to ARRL.org. Join us. My whole identity had been wrapped up in being a soldier. To have that so violently ripped from me when I was wounded, I was lost for a very long time. When Wounded Warrior Project came into my life, being around the other warriors, people that had similar experiences that I did, it was a game changer for me. Having King join the group, that was the beginning of a really good friendship. It's a, it's a, it's a good time. I first heard about Wounded Warrior Project through CQ. And at first I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I qualify. But having been a part of it, it's kind of taught me that it's not just the wounds that you can see, but it's those that you can't. When you do something like a peer support group with Wounded Warrior Project and come together from different walks of life, man, the growth is incredible. If not for Wounded Warrior Project, I really don't think that I'd be here today. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. So last night we told you about a weird court hearing. It was supposed to be routine for the Long Island serial killing suspect, um, Rex Heuerman, but it it was weird because uh, his wife, for the first time, decided to come to a hearing. Okay, and she's struggling financially, understandable, right? But she showed up in a Mercedes, and she was surrounded by a, a documentary crew. That was all strange. And we thought that would be the big headline yesterday because it was the hearing was boring. It was scheduling and stuff. However, inside the hearing, she locked eyes with her husband, uh, who she's divorcing six days after the arrest, and a giant smile. All court, multiple media outlets saw this. Not just our producer at News Nation. Multiple outlets all saw this giant smile that did not leave her face until the media filed out. If this is the guy she's divorcing and he's a serial killing suspect. We're trying to figure out what that was all about. Her lawyer told us last night it was nerves. Um, But there are two children who are also affected by this. Victoria is his daughter. She used to work in Rex's Manhattan architecture firm. And Chris is his son. He's been described by the neighbors as a nice guy with special needs. We do know this. They have an attorney, and he joins me now. Ves Matev represents Victor and uh, Christopher, Victoria and Christopher. Ves, thanks for being on. I really appreciate this. What is the the, the relationship um, with this family, the, the kids and their dad, and then Aza Ellerup, the, the wife and um, her husband? Well, thank you for having me. I, I just want to point out to, to what you said, uh, you know, uh, speaking of my clients and my clients only, their their existence now is as, as bleak and as hard scrabble as you can imagine. There's no Mercedes. There's no luxury vehicles. There's no, um, you know, uh, European clothes. In fact, 
one of the things that they're trying to get back and they filed their notice of claim are, are vintage jackets and clothes that they need for the winter. This is no joke. This is this is not hyperbole. Uh, so their their lives, uh, as I've said from day one, have been completely upended by this. Their road ahead is arduous. It is long. Uh, and, and no matter what happens with this case, no matter if he's acquitted, convicted on all counts or something in between, their lives will never be the same. But for my clients, uh, like I said, th- this is, there's no Maybachs. There's no there's none of that. There is simply putting one foot in front of the yeah. other and trying desperately to you. get back yeah. what was unfairly taken from them. So. I believe you that they're struggling out there in that little house because he was the breadwinner. And uh, they said all along, we, we don't have any income now. So the Mercedes threw, threw us all off. So what's the relationship between Christopher and Victoria and, and their dad? Have they visited? Have they spoken to him? They've spoken to him. They have not visited with him. That's something that may be coming down the pike, obviously, every day. You know, they, they're reevaluating what they're going to do every day as new new information comes out in the media, as the DA releases new evidence, et cetera. So it's not out of the question that they will see him at some point. But as of yet, they have not. And what about the mom? And one up, smiling, a big smile. Like, what's the relationship? She filed for divorce, but then this giant smile. What's going on between the two of them? Yeah, that I, I really, I wish I could speculate on that. I'm, I'm not going to. She has very capable attorneys. I think Mr. Macedonia was on your show last night. He, he commented as to that. So I, I'm not going to, not going to wager any, any hyperbole on that at all. What I can tell you though is, is again, this is, was a very small, cohesive unit. And, and that still remains in large part as to my two clients. Obviously, again, no one could imagine what happens when the man that you've grown up with and is your father and has raised you is accused of these atrocious acts. And they're only allegations at this point, as we all know, but that's why I keep saying no matter what happens next, their lives will never be the same. There is no new normal. It's just one day after the other. That's it. Vess, you're right. They're victims, right? Your clients are victims in all of this. And I sure hope there's not online bullying because that stuff happens. You got to stay in touch with us, okay? And keep us posted on how they're doing. We, We certainly will. And thank you for having me on. Vesmitev, thank you for being on, and we'll talk again soon. Um, coming up, I do have this for you. Uh, cops and ex-cons are not known to be the best of bedfellows, but you don't know John Lally and Jonathan Gibson. John Lally's criminal past officially became his criminal past when he came across an officer down. That cop, Jonathan Gibson, was lying on the road, shot and bleeding after a highway gunfight, and that is when Lally went from ex-con to unexpected hero. Come on, you're okay, bro. You're okay. You're okay. Over here. Why the felon put his life at risk for a cop and more of this heart-pounding rescue when we return. Sometimes help comes from the place you least expect it, like during a gun battle on a Texas highway. An officer was bleeding on the road after being shot when he suddenly felt himself being dragged across the road to safety. His rescuer then shielded him behind a nearby vehicle. And that hero story has a twist because it was an ex-con rescuing the cop. And all of it was caught on tape. Hey, come this way! Come this way! Come this way! This way! Come here! Come here! Come here! Come here! Come here! Get up! Get up! I got you! Come on! Come on! Come on! You're okay, bro! You're okay! You're okay! Over here! Over here! 
right here. You're okay, bro. You're okay. Breathe. Put your gun down. You're okay. You're gonna be all right. Listen. You're gonna be okay. Relax. Relax. Hold my hand. Hold my hand. Hold my hand. Hold my hand. Just look at me. Look at me the whole time. Hold. Look at me. Look at me. Look up here at me, bro. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. Just hold my hand. Just hold my hand. Hold my hand. Hold my hand. Don't let go. Don't let go. Just hold my hand, brother. If it hurts, hold my hand. Hold my hand. It's okay. Lay down. Let him lay down flat. He has to be down. Let him lay flat. God damn it. I'm still here with you, buddy. You hear me? You hear me? I've been to jail a million times, man, and I love cops too, bro. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. That man who sprang into action is John Lolly. He is both a good Samaritan and an ex-con with a history of criminal charges, aggravated assault, theft, narcotic use, weapon possession. But in that moment, on the side of the highway, it didn't matter that cops had put him away. Lolly not only rescued Officer Jonathan Gibson, but stayed there and comforted him. 